0: Hello and welcome to J.G. Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain at J.G. Ministries, and I'm glad you joined us today. Turn your Bibles to chapter 16 of the book of Luke, verse 22. Let's get into it. Now we're in our discussion over the rich man and Lazarus. Last time we finished our discussion on the greedy Pharisees, And now let's go ahead and continue with verse 22 with our discussion here with the rich man and Lazarus. Now verse 22, when the beggar died, he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Many question whether angels actually participate in conveying the souls of believers to heaven. We see no reason, however, for doubting the plain force of these words. Angels minister to believers in this life, and there's no reason why they should not do so at the time of death. Abraham's bosom is a symbolic expression to denote the place of bliss. Now to any Jew, the thought of enjoying fellowship with Abraham would suggest inexpressible bliss. We take it that Abraham's bosom is the same as heaven. Now when the rich man died, his body was buried, the body that he had catered to and for which he had spent so much. But that was not all. As we see in verses 23 and 24, his soul or conscious self went to Hades. Now Hades is the Greek, For the Old Testament word sheol, the state of departed spirits. In the Old Testament period, it was spoken of as the abode of both saved and unsaved. Here it is spoken of as the abode of the unsaved because we read that the rich man was in torments. It must have come as a shock to the disciples When Jesus said that this rich Jew went to Hades, they had always been taught from the Old Testament that riches were a sign of God's blessing and favor. An Israelite who obeyed the Lord was promised material prosperity. Well then how could a wealthy Jew go to Hades? Jesus had just announced that a new order of things began with the preaching of John. Henceforth, riches are not a sign of blessing. They are a test of man's faithfulness in stewardship. To whom much is given of him uh, to, uh, to whom much is given, of him will much be required. So verse 23 disproves the idea of soul sleep, the theory that the soul is not conscious between death and resurrection. It proves that there is conscious existence beyond the grave. In fact, we are struck by the extent of knowledge which the rich man had. He saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He was even able to communicate with Abraham calling him Father Abraham, he begged for mercy, pleading that Lazarus might bring a drop of water and cool his tongue. Now there is of course a question as to how a disembodied soul can experience thirst and anguish from flame. We can only conclude that the language is figurative, but that does not mean that the suffering was not real. So in verse 25, Abraham addressed him as son, suggesting that he was a descendant physically, though obviously not spiritually. The patriarch reminded him of his lifetime of luxury, of ease, and of indulgence. He also rehearsed the poverty and suffering of Lazarus. Now, beyond the grave, the tables were turned. The inequalities of earth were reversed. By calling the rich man's son, Abraham conveys something of the compassion that God himself shows even to those who spurn him. In a masterly summary, Jesus contrasts the previous states of the rich man and Lazarus with the now and here of their situations after death. In verse 26, we learn that the choices of this life determine our eternal destiny. And once again, death has taken place. That destiny is fixed. There is no passage from the abode of the saved to that of the damned or vice versa. Verse 26 shows the utter and unchangeable uh, finalness of their decision. Taking a look at verses 27 to 31, in death, the rich man suddenly became evangelistic. He wanted someone to go to his five brothers and warn them against coming to that place of torment. Abraham's reply was that these five brothers, being Jews, had the Old Testament scriptures and these should be sufficient to warn them. The rich man contradicted Abraham, stating that if one should go to them from the dead, they would surely repent. However, Abraham had the last word. He stated that failure to listen to the word of God is final. If people will not heed the Bible, they would not believe if a person rose from the dead. This is conclusively proved in the case of the Lord Jesus himself. He arose from the dead, and men still do not believe it. From the New Testament, we know that when a believer dies his body goes to the grave, but his soul goes to be with Christ in heaven. We can refer to 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8 and also Philippians chapter 1 verse 23. Now, when an unbeliever dies, his body likewise goes to the grave, but his soul goes to Hades. For him, Hades is a place of suffering and remorse. At the time of rapture, the bodies of believers will be raised from the grave and reunited with their spirits and souls. We can reference 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. They will then dwell with Christ eternally. At the judgment of the great white throne, the bodies, spirits, and souls of unbelievers will be reunited. We see this in Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 and 13. They will then be cast into the lake of fire, a place of eternal punishment. And so chapter 16 closes with a most solemn warning to the Pharisees and to all who would live for money. They do so at the peril of their souls. It is better to beg bread on earth than to beg water in Hades. This unchangeability comes from a hardness, not only towards Christ, but also toward Moses and the prophets. Not even a spectacular sign like one returning from the dead, can change those whose hearts are sent against God's words. And that's the response of many to the resurrection Jesus was to show. Now in this section, in this chapter, we have Abraham's side or Abraham's bos- bosom, which is paradise, the intermediate state in which the souls of the just are await resurrection, as Hades is the intermediate state of the lost who are awaiting judgment. Now, Jesus here presents a conversation between Abraham and Lazarus after death. To what extent it is imaginary, we don't know, but its implications are rather plain. For one thing, angels are on hand at the death of saints, to bear them away to glory. For another, the lost are in torment. There is an impassable gulf between paradise and Hades, implying that death ends our opportunity for salvation. The scriptures are entirely sufficient to bring men to repentance, and the standards of this world do not apply in heaven. Many of those who are first here will be last there. Those who occupy high places here may be the lowliest there. And many of those who are ignored by the church dignitaries here may be their masters there. So one final thought. Heaven and hell, the story of the rich man and Lazarus is one of the many many sidelights on the hereafter found in Jesus's teachings. He talked much about the future life, he appealed to the hope of heaven and the fear of hell. He spoke often of the unhappy fate of the lost as well as of the blessedness of the redeemed, setting them over against each other. In scripture we often see the words heaven Hell and eternal life. It is a pity that the present-day pulpit so generally ignores and even looks down on the very motives that Jesus himself appealed to. One of the most powerful stimulants to do good and most powerful deterrence from evil in this life is a profound conviction as to the reality of the future life. The fact that our place there will depend on our decisions and our actions in this life. A heart firmly fixed on heaven will surely mean a more careful walk in this world. This world has an end. That one lasts forever. And with that, we close chapter 16. Next time, we will begin chapter 16 We'll see the Son of Man instructs his disciples. So until next time, God bless you, and keep living Christian Strong.